morning. I'm having my breakfast and I'm looking out the window at the beach and what am I seeing? Most people will have seen the original film, so I don't. We don't need to like go through the entire film. So I've tried to set it up so we can kind of go back and forth between the two and sort of talk about what changes each film has, in particular, made versus the book. Mm -hmm. I think will make the most sense. We rewatched the original as well. Mm -hmm. so yes, we so did I. Class what? <laughs> Tom has experienced both movies and the book at some point in his life. Yeah. So. Oh my God, you are making me sound really old. <laughs> <laughs> so the book though, I mean, I'm trying to remember when I even read it originally. I was probably like seven or eight or something like that. I got, my parents got me like an entire Roald Dahl collection. Uh, so I had like the Twits, Matilda, Charlie and Chocolate Factory, what was the the pilot one? I forget the name of it. Oh, James and the Giant Peach. And James and Giant Peach, but there was one about a Danny. Oh, Danny the boy. Oh, no, Danny Champion of. Champ yes. Champion. Danny Champion of the world isn't isn't the pilot one. I think you're thinking about Boy, his his uh, autobiography. Yeah. No, I had that one too because they they came. They were sort of done all together. So that was that was my first interaction with it, and then. First film came out in 1990, so at some point in the 90s, I would have seen that film. I'm not sure if I read the book first or saw the film, but I definitely was obsessed with Roald Dahl at that age. What about you guys? Do you remember sort of when you first interacted with the book? I don't know if I remember exactly what age I was, but I I was similar. I had an anthology, so like I had all the books in one giant book, um, and I had the BFG on the cover. Oh, yeah, I remember the BFG. Yeah, that's all I remember. But yeah, all the stories inside. And then I remember seeing the film and the film being like, like I wasn't super scared of it, but it definitely had shock value for me. Like I remember seeing the witches for the first time being like, yeah. not so I probably didn't know those words, but <laughs> something to that effect. Well, I feel like even now as an adult, I can remember and re-watching it, there's specific scenes that are real triggers and being like, that's disgusting. Right. That's really scary. What about you, Sean? I, I read Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I got it from the library when I was quite young. Um, and then I read The Witches afterwards. And I was very scared of the book when I was young. I must have been like seven or eight, I think, at the time. Um, those are the only two Roald Dahl books I read as a kid, though. I think it must have been subconscious, but The Witches scared me. And I was like... You don't want to know what else he's got. <laughs> yeah, that, that's enough Roald Dahl for me. Um, I've read some of his uh, short story collections for adults recently, which are very good. Um, I remember seeing the original Charlie and the Chocolate Factory movie and the Witches mm -hmm. movie, again, when I was fairly young, probably older, after I'd read the books. Um, but I don't, I don't really remember the Witches when I was younger. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory stands out to me more. I saw that a lot more when I was younger. I watched the I movie a lot. I think that was on the TV a lot more. Yeah, like I think just it was. Because obviously... When we were younger, there was literally like five channels. 
Yeah. So on a Sunday afternoon or whatever, that was always on. Yeah, yeah. I've definitely seen that one way I more. I feel like the BBC. Five channels. Luxury. <laughs> <laughs> what about With you? fancy channel five. Yeah, Tom, you would have remembered. You would have gone to see the witches in cinema, right? I was just about to say, I think I did go and see the witches in the cinema, yeah. That's wow. I think it was the first time I ever saw Angelica Houston. I was I was very like captivated by the whole thing, but I don't remember very much beyond that. Okay. Because she was like, I was trying to look at what her film career was before that, and she was in a bunch of stuff, but she hadn't made her name name yet. Because it was after the witches that she got cast in Adam's family, and then she like was really skyrocketing. I think this was sort of her pinnacle. Thing. I think before that she was just a Houston of the yeah. Houstons mm-hmm. um but yeah like I, I agree I don't think I think her best work was definitely ahead yeah I don't know how old she was would she would have been in this film um whether her and Anne Hathaway are similar age oh I don't think so Anne Hathaway strikes me as so much younger but I have a feeling she actually might be older yeah so let me she's born in 51 so, what, 40? So she was 40 in it. Yeah. Okay, that's older than I thought she was in it, actually. Yeah. And then Anne Hathaway was born in 82, so that makes her 37? Yeah. Yeah, so 38. So, so actually similar. similar age. But Angelica Houston has, just has this kind of very eternal look to her, like ageless, and sort of you can never really tell how old she is. Yeah, um, true. I think she's got like a real like kind of presence that I don't think Anne Hathaway necessarily bought in the same way. Yeah. Anne Hathaway and not that Angelica Houston is really beautiful. I think well, Angelica Houston is more like striking. Mm. It's a, I mean, she's stunning, obviously, but Anne Hathaway is more of a thing. Angelica Houston's got real got real presence. Mm. Like she's just you know magnetic on screen yeah um, and Anne Hathaway I don't know I, I, it was very necessary for them to do all the CG mouth and teeth stuff for me to find her remotely scary in, in this yeah otherwise you wouldn't have done she would have no. just floated around I mean Angelica Houston just on her own even though she's so beautiful if I woke up in the middle of night and she was like staring at me over my bed I would be screaming <laughs> She's got such like spooky associations for us particularly though, I think, because we knew her from this and the Adams family. Like to me, she's always been quite sort of gothy and had that, you know, I know she it's just the way her face is. Yeah. She could wear like bubblegum pink and I'd still be like, ooh. (laughs) (laughs) Whereas Anne Hathaway, I would be more comfortable with her and like you know, for me, the entire problem, and as we talk about it, it's just like I can't take her seriously as she's saying things. Even just with the delivery, there's no gravitas to it. So it's hard to, there's hard, it's hard for there to be an impact or a fear of her delivering this message. Well, we can start with Sean talking. We'll go through the book because, you know, both films hit pretty much all the plot points of the book so we don't need to repeat once we've discussed what happens because I think it's just like the endings of both films are slightly different than the book really. Sean? Yeah, ready? Uh, so the blurb for Roald Dahl's The Witches. This is not a fairy tale. This is about real witches. Real witches don't ride around on broomsticks. They don't even wear black cloaks and hats. 
They are vile, cunning, detestable creatures who disguise themselves as nice, ordinary ladies. So how can you tell when you're face to face with one? Well, if you don't know yet, you'd better find out quickly because there's nothing a witch loathes quite as much as children and she will have terrifying powers to get rid of them. I think that's it. I also, just to like beforehand, I was surprised. I forgot how violent this book was. Like it doesn't shy away at like threatening to murder children. Yeah. Yeah, it's quite a savage message to deliver in a children's book, particularly. All of his books are kind of like that. They've all got like some kind of weird, sinister undertone, I think. And maybe it's just like at the age you kind of blanket, you're not even, you don't think about how violent what he is saying is. But as an adult, you're like, oh my God, kids are reading this? I mean, there's a there's a long and rich tradition of children's fiction being highly disturbing when you revisit yeah. it as an adult, all the way back to Victorian times when yeah. you had you know monsters with uh, scissors for fingers coming at you to 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 stop you chewing your fingernails. Um, I don't want to jump the gun, but it, it's sort of part of a broader conversation that it seems odd that you have this whole sort of you know politically correct. Um, yeah, you know what? I'm jumping the gun. We will get to all of that later. <laughs> okay. We, it, 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 all I mean, feels, it all feels part and parcel. Like Roald Dahl's stuff all is very hard-edged yeah. in one way or another. Either his view of humanity is very uh, cruel and 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 very knife-edged and it's dog-eat-dog or it's, you know, child murder um, or whatever it is. And I, I sort of feel like that's just part and parcel of... of I mean, James and the Giant Peach, I had real nightmares from that. Never could look at clouds again. Yeah, I mean, the the, the, the giants in the BFG are quite terrifying. Mm. You know, as, as, as a kid, they, they were horrible giants. And, yeah. and I think it doesn't, and the, the, BF, the BFG doesn't work, the, the movie, the, the, the one that came out a couple of years yeah. ago, this Billboard one, because they really tone all of that down. And then it just becomes smoke. The whole thing is just saccharin. Yeah. Because it, it lacks that counterbalance. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, Sean. <laughs> there is. Uh, okay, so again, stop me at any point if anyone's got any points or they want to mention something, but I'll run through the summary of the kind of uh, book plot. I mean, we open with the description of the witch's hunting tactics. The unnamed narrator, a young boy, tells about his life, uh, life up until the death of his parents and his relationship with his grandmother. His grandmother tells him stories about the witches in Norway from her childhood. These include <laughs> kidnapped, uh, being transported to a painting, turned into a chicken, even turned into a, a porpoise. Uh, we move on. Also, to she smokes cigars profusely, which I enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then she moves on to explaining how you recognise a witch. They use gloves to hide claws, wigs to cover bald heads, larger noses to smell children. Uh, peculiar eyes, square feet with no toes, and they spit blue. Which we never see in either film, the blue spit. I don't... The blue spit. Yeah. We're told the grandmother was missing a thumb, which has to do with her having met a witch in her youth. Which we never find out in any way what that is related to, though. No. In the films, either. After his parents pass, in their will, they want them to stay in England for his education. Grandmother tells him that English witches usually turn children into slugs and that there is a secret society of witches in every country and one grand high witch for the world. We find out uh, that his grandmother used to be a witcherphile hunting witches. Back in Kent, the young boy is in his treehouse and sees a strange woman 
She tries to lure him down with a snake. He realizes she is a witch and manages to run away. Moving to the summer, originally they are planning to go to Norway, but his grandmother gets pneumonia. They instead decide to go to Bournemouth. She gets, uh, she gets him two pet mice, William and Mary, for his birthday. He gets into trouble at the hotel when they see the mice, but his grandmother manages to argue with the hotel manager to let him keep them. He finds an empty ballroom to play with his mice. He notices a sign that's saying it's to host an event for the Royal Society for Precaution uh, of Cruelty to Children. I think that I got it right. Is that right? The Royal yeah. Society for Precaution yeah. of Cruelty? Something like that, or against cruelty to children. Yeah. Um, he tells us his plan of how he's teaching his mice to walk a tightrope, so suddenly, so he can have a mouse circus. Suddenly, a group of women come into the ballroom. He notices them all scratching their heads and realizes that they are all witches. The Grand High Witch is on stage and takes off her face to reveal a monstrous appearance. All the witches start removing their gloves, shoes, and wigs. The Grand High Witch has a plan to eliminate all children in England. One witch questions her, and the Grand High Witch lasers her into dust with her eyes. The plan is to buy up sweet shops with the money that the Grand High Witch has printed and turn the children into mice. Uh, William and Mary, his two mice, escape into the crowd. A demonstration starts. The Grand High Witch uh, uh, earlier on gave a chocolate bar with a potion to a boy, Bruno Jenkins. He comes in and then turns into a mouse. Suddenly the witches can smell the boy in the room. Uh, they find him and force him to take the potion. He too turns into a mouse and manages to escape the room. He, fi he finds Mouse Bruno and they together return to his grandmother. Once with his grandmother, they come up with a plan for him to steal the potion from the Grand High Witch's room below theirs. Uh, the grandmother lowers him in the knitted sock into the room uh, so he can grab it. They go to the bar downstairs and they try to give Bruno back to his parents, but they freak out, so they decide to keep him. The boy goes to the kitchen, now it's a mouse, with the potion uh, to put the potion into the witch's soup for dinner. The kitchen staff see him and proceed to chase him. One of them manages to cut off uh, his tail, part of his tail, with a knife. He runs up one of the cook's trousers, but eventually he gets out and goes back to his grandmother. The grandmother manages to convince Mr Jenkins to take Bruno back tells him it was the Grand High Witch who turned him into a mouse. The witches all then start turning into mice. They get away from all the chaos and they decide they should move back to Norway. They talk about how mice won't live for very long, but they should be able to live for another eight to nine years together. They come up with a plan to try and keep working on getting rid of all the witches in the entire world. And thus ends the book. And then you read the bonus chapters. I didn't have any bonus chapters. Oh, oh yeah. God, the bonus chapters are so weird. They're not in here. What are you talking about? In the bonus chapter, in fact, you say because you explained better than me. But so, bonus chapters were from a very early draft in which the main boy does not become a mouse; only Bruno does. Okay. Then they, Bruno doesn't go back to live with his parents; he stays with them. Uh, and Bruno's master plan for them to have adventures is he breaks into Downing Street and eavesdrops on a secret cabinet meeting. They then blackmail the Prime Minister of England to let them be a spy for him, and then they go on spy escapades around the world, spying for the British government. Until Bruno's too old and dies, because he's a man. I this book, that's just amazing. <laughs> I don't know what edition we have, it was just like, I read it on Kindle, so whatever downloaded first, yeah. but yeah. Where did you read it? Um, I read my book version. That fully sounds like you've made it up as well. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Can you please write some The Witch's fan fiction? <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, so I have a question because I couldn't, 
you know, I was trying to do some, re some very vague research, but um, why do you think he's unnamed the boy? Well, in the hmm. film, he no, in uh, the new version, he's unnamed. In the 1990 version, they give him the name Luke, but mm -hmm. in the book, he doesn't have a name. No, maybe it's so that uh, like children reading it can apply it to themselves, like because you want the fear to be quite visceral. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, I've thought that on my ass to be honest. It might not be that. Makes sense to me. It just yeah. as I was like typing up notes, I was very conscious of I didn't couldn't I give a name to the character as I'm writing. Yeah. I'm like, the boy. It's interesting as well, because of Dog of the Works, like James the Giant Peach, Charlie and the Chocolate yeah. Factory, there's a real yeah. emphasis on the character's yeah. name and stuff like that. So I think it's interesting mm -hmm. the book where that isn't the case. Maybe he just couldn't come up with one. <laughs> a good name. Well, I um, not to, not, won't say what publication. I read a review of this new movie in a well-regarded publication, and it was possibly the worst written review I've ever read. Um, because A, they refer to the boy as Charlie, multiple, <gasps> um, and then they confuse the main boy character with Bruno's character in the closing paragraph. Oh my God, in like a mainstream, why can't you say what the publication oh, is? The Guardian's online review. Oh my God. <laughs> That is so embarrassing. You should embarrass them for that. There's that no editor or like fact checker in that office. It's called Charlie and we just don't know because they see- No, 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 I checked on IMDB. They have him listed as hero boy. Yeah. Oh. Not the boy, hero boy. He's a hero. Yeah, he yeah. and I've, I've read other reviews where they are purposefully calling him hero or the narrator, the protagonist. Oh yeah, here you go. Yeah. So the line is, they call him Charlie throughout the boy. And then it says, there's one one nice line in the script, a gag about Charlie's reluctance to talk to his with his mouth full in front of his disciplinarian father, which isn't even that character. That's what Bruno does. And Bruno has a name. So who knows? But yeah, could do with a bit of fact checking. Um, I adore this book. I mean, I think it's just so, I think it's the little things and that's what Roald Dahl is so good at when he's describing the instructions about how he's gonna train his mice to have a circus, like it's very specific. Or when the witch is describing the ingredients of having to roast the alarm clock at nine o'clock. You set the alarm clock at nine o'clock, then you put it in the oven. And then like you put, put it in a blender with like a crocodile and all these other things of yeah. how they're creating the potion. It's incredibly deliberate because obviously they're not long books. They're not like verbose. So yeah, I mean, I sat down for like an hour or so and finished it. It was, you yeah. know, yeah. I And I love, I like the message of the idea that anyone can, I mean, it's sort of talking about morals that anyone can be a bad person. Like, talking about the Grand High Witch, like she looks like a woman of like 25 to 30, like really sweet cherub face. And you would never, yeah, you never know who's out to get you. <laughs> what a lovely lesson to teach children. Yeah, and it's just, yeah, evil doesn't look like evil because when you think of like cliche children's films, it's always over the top and it's like, yeah, but that's not what villains look like in real life. You're yeah. teaching children that bad person has to look like a bad person. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of 
better to teach them that just be cautious of, you know, <laughs> you're interacting with, I suppose. The book is a lot better at it because the, 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 as Sean was reading it, um, you know, the book is like, how would you know? A witch could be anybody, but you wouldn't know because they're very well disguised. Whereas in the movie, you're like, nope, that's a witch. Back <laughs> away from that lady in the shop. She is sinister. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the book works better in that respect. Yeah. And it's just kind of teaching kids to use a bit more common sense, I suppose. It always felt like a common sense book. Don't don't take chocolate from strangers. Yeah. It's probably it's probably got drugs in it. Yeah, if somebody exactly. invites you to come and play, come up to their room to play with their snake, no. Sam, why they think snakes would lure children in? I would not go to anyone with a snake. <laughs> no. uh, I mean, I, th I think, again, it's a slightly period thing. Like, it's a period. And bear in mind, Roald Dahl wasn't very fond of children, so I don't think had that much necessary understanding of them. But I think the idea of children at that point in England was still very much, um, you know, boys playing with... Um, slings and and small farmyard creatures that they found in the grass and apples and you know I don't know that kind of thing spinning tops yeah you know it, it all feels it all makes sense to me the whole snake thing anyway and I kind of liked that it was very well I know Roald Dahl's his family's from Norway so like talking about the Norwegian culture and you know witches in different countries and how they have each country has its own different personalities like the english witches think slugs are gross and the norwegian th witches think this is gross so that's talking about that as well having people sort of move around a bit i thought was interesting and you're kind of learning something in a very general sense about the world as you're reading this that was quite nice so uh Oh, I don't know if we said. So it was 1983 the book came out. He dies in 1990, so when the film, the first film comes out, which I didn't realize, which is really sad. And I don't think he saw it or because I tried to look up if there was anything where he said anything about the film, but I couldn't find anything. The first film was directed by Nicholas Rugg, who is kind of an indie director. It was quite interesting. So he did The Man Who Fell to Earth, the David Bowie film. Uh, Don't Look Now, Bad Timing, Walkabout. So like respected indie films. And then- I had no idea. I had no idea this was a rogue movie. That's well, insane. what does rogue mean to you? Because it doesn't mean anything to me. Don't, don't, don't Look Now. And I... Man Who Fell to Earth and Walkabout and all well, of those I know about the classic, classic movies. Yeah. I think um, a very well-respected director, clearly, of that period. Yes, but of a certain intellectual caliber that, yeah. that that seems not well suited to a children's book adaptation. And now I'm thinking I've really got to watch the um, the original movie because now I know it's a Nicholas Rogue movie. I've definitely got to watch. Well, it. I think you kind of like this is my problem always. Like a lot of kids' movies are just stupid. Like kids are like, but I never wanted to watch the stupid movies as a kid. And I feel like adults always sort of dumb things down. Whereas in the original one, as we get into it, we can talk about that. But so the screenplay is by Alan Scott, who I was so excited when I read this. Has anyone watched The Queen's Gambit yet? No, not yet. I've heard great things, but I haven't watched he it He created, he's the creator of The Queen's Gambit. Oh, really? The guy who wrote the screenplay of 
this film. He also did Don't Look Now uh, with Nicholas Rogue. So they've worked together before and The Preacher's Wife. So a sort of indie intellectual screenplay writer, which is just very, yes, go ahead. Sorry, I was just researching something you said earlier. Mm -hmm. uh, Roald Dahl was apparently appalled by a test screening of the original movie. Oh. He didn't like According the film that the... he, oh, Roald Dahl didn't like it. No, Roald Dahl ex angrily expressed to the producers how appalled he was at the vulgarity, the bad taste and actual terror in certain parts of the film. Uh, he demanded his name be removed from the film prior to release, but after he received an apologetic letter from Jim Henson. Yeah. Why Jim Henson? Because they were the production company for it. They produced ah, it. Which I didn't uh, get to that point yet. Then he, would, then he withdrew his threat. So yeah. He did, he, he did see a version of it. So Jim Henson, his production company and puppet making company, so they worked in partnership with Nicholas Rogue developing the film. So that was a very close collaboration. Um, and then it was also produced by Lorimer Film Entertainment, which is a division of Warner Brothers, um, just for the financing any way. And it starred Angelica Houston as the Grand High Witch. And then I mean, she's kind of the main name. You have Mai Zetterling, who plays the grandmother, who's a Swedish actress. Uh, Jason Fisher plays L Luke. They name him Luke in the film. He's sort of a child actor. Rowan Atkinson, who is great at as Mr. Stringer. Bill Patterson, who plays Mr. Jenkins, who I really like as an actor. Charlotte Charlie Potter plays Bruno Jenkins. And then I just mentioned, cause she's a unique character to the film, Jane Horrock, who plays Miss Irving, who I recognize because she was in, is it Little Voice? Mm -hmm. Which I love that film. And so that's the cast of the 1990 version. So then uh, 30 years later, we get the version directed by Robert Zemeckis who did Forrest Gump, Back to the Future, Welcome to Marwin. And then, it boggles my mind that these three men took pen to paper and gave us this. I refuse yes, to I believe that these three people wrote this film. So you have Robert Zemeckis, Guillermo del Toro, and Kenya Barris wrote the film. I just don't know what to say. What happened? <laughs> Guillermo, Guillermo, what did you do? Well, apparently Guillermo del Toro was attached originally to it and wanted to do a um, sort of puppet-esque thing. So not live action per se. And he, so he, I think he wrote the original screenplay and you can definitely tell whose bits are what. And then you have Kenya Barris who did, did Girls Trip, Black AF, Blackish Grownish. So he essentially in my mind wrote the relationship between the boy his grandmother the whole thing about the south in alabama and then you have robert zemenkis who did all the witch stuff i guess uh in his vision because like in quotes from him he says i wanted it to make it more true to the book than the previous film <laughs> um i'm just gonna get this out of the way um i think he did and i prefer this to the original movie so i'm just gonna say that now can you move the camera away from him, Ellie? <laughs> no, because I just have my giant face. Um, I think I'm done here. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. 
Uh, it stars Anne Hathaway as the Grand High Witch. No, I, I think it was clear to the book. What? Arguing. I don't think it was clear to the book, but we'll get into that. Yes. Chris Rock as the older mouse voice. Jazir Bruno as the boy. Uh, he's been in, like, Atlanta, the child actor. Octavia Spencer plays the grandma. Cody Lay Eastwick plays Bruno Jenkins. Stanley Tucci plays Mr. Stringer. And then you have Kristen Chenoweth, who plays Daisy slash Mary. It took me so long to place her voice. And then as soon as I did, it was obvious. Yeah. Well, it was a little bit weird because I was like, because I, I was, it sounds like an older woman. And I was like, but I thought it's meant to be a child. I was a little bit confused by it, but we'll talk about that. It was produced by Warner Brothers, Image Movers, which is Robert Spenkis's company, Canadian film, Double Dare You, which is Guillermo del Toro's Disney production label, Esperanto Filmo, which is, this hurts me, Alfonso Caron's film company had something to do with this. It's very, very upsetting. Uh, Necropia Entertainment, which is another Guillermo del Toro and the Jim Henson company uh, helped with it as well. So starting off, we're opening both films. First film, we open up in the small, seemingly Nordic town, I guess, somewhere cold. And then new film, we open up in a classroom slideshow of the witch's history. <laughs> it was, you know, it's more closer to the original, I would say the opening of the first film, whereas the new film is drastically different from the book in how it opens up. Correct. Mm -hmm. I, the first eight minutes, just that scene of the sort of like cheap stock photos and the sort of like scary witches in this like weird darkened classroom. I was like, nope. <laughs> and the well, Chris Rock's very, very specific voice, which makes me like flashback to that. What? <laughs> That's just his voice, isn't it? Yeah, it's just his voice, but it's just like, what am I watching? <laughs> I think I think that's really, really important point, actually, because you don't have, you know, the book, certainly what I remember of it, you have this immediate creepiness mm -hmm. in that it's like secret, secret knowledge that's just passed down in private from person to person in the family. And it's all got that kind of weird old world you know, from the dark countries where, where there isn't civilization, you have witches creeping in at the edges of the world. Whereas like you say, this kind of stock images and, and stock riches thing immediately sets it off on a weird tone, after which I think it totally fails to ever quite recapture any sense of the sinister. Whereas so many of those 80s movies started off in, in the sort of very atmospheric Tim Burton kind of way. And then once you've got the tone set, then you can sort of go with it. Yeah, I just, the tone made me very reminisce of like early 2000s kids films, like very campy, like Spy Kids, Stuart Little, Cats and Vers Dogs, just like high action, high octane. Because um, Chris Robert, Robert Zemeckis. Is, sorry. I mean, it, just, it, it just felt like Zemeckis, that, that whole can see but it, it's so tonally wrong if you're trying to do anything remotely scary sinister yeah so then you have the whole thing with his parents dying and then him having to moving 
in the original in the original they go to his grandmother's house in england because that's where his parents um where his grandmother has a house and the new one this is where it totally switched gears and this is for me felt like Ken, having watched blackish kenya bears his voice that octavia spencer takes him to live with her in alabama because that's where she lives he's quite solemn and depressed and she's trying to cheer him up and then she starts like dancing and singing for him but then she also yells at him because it's like and she's trying to pass on the message i've also lost a child but then she's just like i don't feel bad for you <laughs> which was a confusing message for i'm not sure how how old do we think the character is supposed to be no older than 10 or 11. He says he's eight, I think. Okay, maybe even younger then. Um, and then also I didn't enjoy, and maybe this is just my personal taste for a children's film, that you got a little bit of a religious tone that started seeping in at this point where she talks about like, good Lord, the man above. And she starts these sort of uh, preaching a little bit. And I, I understand this meant to be like, a representation of what it meant would mean to be black in the south at that point but for what is the vision of a Roald Dahl story uh that's supposed to be something that a wide audience of children can connect with I found that kind of made me hesitate to engage with the story because you do see this as a through line further on in the film uh I I loved this whole bit of the new movie the I thought this was her having to kind of coax him out of this this depression and kind of save him essentially I thought was really great and I think as a, as a kid I don't think you've really even noticed the kind of religious undertones I certainly would not if I was watching this as a kid of like eight or ten yeah it would just wash over me I, I just met, think I was, he was sad. I was quite sort of charmed by the sequence and I love the way it looked as well hmm. I there was, you know, as I kind of went in with low expectations. And as we were watching this initial sequence, I was like, oh, I actually, it changed a lot, but I like it. Yeah. It doesn't mean I liked the whole film, but when it opened, I was yeah, that, that was, with it. That was one of my biggest problems with the original movie is his parents die, and then literally they cut to them packing up and moving to England, mm-hmm. and he's fine. There's, like, no he, real, like... He doesn't seem bothered, does he? Yeah, there's no real, like... In, like it, almost to the point where like you can drop that you could have dropped that from the original movie yeah because it adds nothing it's to just it him and grandma hanging out anyway yeah, yeah. It adds nothing to it for me um whereas this felt like yeah if, if i just i love this it it sets up the rest of the movie for me the opening kind of sequence well i suppose the trade-off is because what they sort of what they do it a little bit in the original film. What they miss in the book, there's this huge buildup where they talk about his relationship with his grandmother prior to his parents passing and how close they were and how sometimes he would prefer to be with his grandmother than his parents. And they were very, she was a part of his life. Whereas with the new film, they never established that. So I suppose that was replacing, having to establish building a relationship between the two of them. I don't know. I honestly, it was enough for me the scene when she came to pick him up. Like the fact that he seemed like overjoyed to see her, despite this like horrific thing of just having happened to him. That established the fact that he had this like connection to her. That was enough for me. Tom, I mean, to be perfectly honest, I think that this whole beginning 
sequence or, or number of sequences I found difficult because I think by the time I was getting to the end of the sequence, I was wondering when the film was really going to start because it kind of felt like it kept having beginnings. Um, and unfortunately, I think that really marred the rest of the experience of the film for me because I, I, I did sort of, it just kept happening as opposed to having a sense of structure and pacing. Like I felt this was a really long sequence that didn't really need to be as lengthy as it was. Um, and in many respects, you could have just jumped straight into the incident and then the aftermath and then meeting a witch. And let's not worry about the beginning bit or we're going to do the beginning bit and set it up. And then we just got to go straight into something else and keep moving. But it, it, it sort of just kept meandering for so long that by, by the end of this sequence, I was sort of fixed on a meandering path as an audience, which potentially marred the rest of it for me. I thought the gist that I got was there is another film that wanted to happen, but because of the circumstances of Hollywood, it wasn't getting made. Because, and going a little bit into this introduction scene, she gets him a pet mouse that he names Daisy and you do see a glimpse of a witch uh, who's very much kind of comes off as like a cliche Creole voodoo sort of witch. And I, as they that, were that going- was, That was, it's funny, that, that was the religious bit that offended me. The, yeah. The, the, the crowbarring in of the, of the sort of voodoo priestess element yes. for no particular reason. That I found offensive much more so than the sort of um, Christian elements. Well, also, and as you get more into the depth of their life there, I felt like there was a question that in my mind, but I could be wrong, that Kenya Barris was trying to use the witches to tell the story of what it would mean. And she references it sort of when she's talking about the witches she interacted with as a child. These people living in these impoverished communities in the South at that time, which would have been like the 40s for her. And then in the late 60s, you had so many children who would go missing and no one would say anything. And talking about that through the witches and these women killing, taking children, making them disappear and why no one would ever say anything. Because it, you know, when you read the witches, it's like, why does no one notice that these kids are going missing? So using the witches to tell that story and talk about that American experience could have been really interesting. And I think they started to talk about that, but there was no follow through. Suddenly you're in this hotel with Anne Hathaway being grandiose and dramatic and over the top and that story disappears and never goes back to it. Yeah, absolutely. It's really incongruous. You have this opening sequence with the classroom, which is all a bit undefined. And then you have this sequence in the deep South, which seems to be touching on a whole bunch of sort of deep south stereotypes to no particular purpose and then all of a sudden they're in our hoity-toity um mar-a-lago kind of mm-hmm. hotel and you're like well hang on none, none of this feels like it's the same world uh so yeah I, I had the same i guess now you're expressing it uh i had the same sense of it being very disjointed in that way like too many people who had their hands on the tiller at different times trying to go in different directions because I, I, I think that's not the case at all. I think this is, I think there's a lot of follow through with all these themes. Like when they turn up to the hotel, like anyone who works there who's not in a position of like power or senior is like a African-American. Like the way they treat her, the grandmother 
is different. Like they accuse her of stuff like very easily. Like when Mr. Jenkins goes to the hotel manager and accuses her of this thing, she gets pulled up on it. I think it's just like, I think it is a through line the whole way through. It's the, it's the way that the world doesn't connect more than the themes, how easy it is to step from this world into this world. And there's sort of no linking. And they, they don't feel like they belong in the same well, world. It's not, it's not easy though at all. This is, she basically says they're running away from their world to hide somewhere that the witches will never look for them. And then when they do get there, like there's loads of interactions where they're called out for why they're there. Like the hotel manager even says to the boy, like, oh, I bet you never thought you'd get a chance to be in a place like this, which is the whole point. And when they collect the car, yeah. the, the porter looks at her and he's like, you're what are saying you, here. What are you doing? Like, yeah. Here? yeah. No, like, no, but it's the transition. It's the abruptness of like one minute you're here and yeah, the next minute you're here. I feel the same way about Norway to Bournemouth, though. <laughs> Is that a first film reference? That's yeah. a first film, yeah. Okay, you're, you're yeah. beyond me. Let's, well, let's catch up to getting to the hotel. So we find out as well this grandmother is sick with a mysterious cough. And it's this sort of that film de device that you see a lot of times. I remember in like Moulin Rouge, they did this. It's like, <clears throat> oh, there's something in my handkerchief. What is it? I don't know. There's something wrong. <laughs> uh, but we never actually say what she's sick with. She just has a cough. And they go to a shop and that's where he sees the witch with this snake, which I thought she was such a stereotype, which I didn't really enjoy in her character versus, yes? No, no, I'm, I'm just, because I'm now thinking about the mother's, the grandmother's cough. Uh, and I'm wondering, I'm wondering what point there was to that. She, um, she could sense the witches. Yeah, I thought that too. Yeah. Like she, it got worse when she, she was near them. Maybe oh, okay. yeah. I didn't. I didn't get that. I, I, I thought that immediately. Yeah. There's a bit when that when he first encounters them in the shop, and yeah. he runs up to her and he's like, "We've got to go. We've got to go." And she coughs, and then she realizes, like her eyes literally go wide, and she goes, "Yeah, you're right. We need to leave." And they leave the shop without buying. Oh, I didn't make that connection. I thought she was talking about herself. Yeah, I've, oh. I've read some reviews and that thought the same as well. Yeah. Hopefully the uh, filmmaker was as clever as you are, Sean, in thinking that connection. <laughs> I, I could have done with more spoon oh, no. feeding on that. Anyway. <laughs> so, sorry, Nora, you were, you, were talking, you were talking about the witch in the shop and I interrupted you. No, no, it's okay. That's the point. Um, but in the book and in the original uh, 1990 version, the, the grandmother's meant to be sick because that's what sort of allows him to go wandering off on his own because she's not really well enough to do anything with him too which is important that he goes off on his own so uh, he tells her what happens and then she starts explaining to so instead of the painting girl which I love in the original film that painting thing definitely like I would stare at paintings and if I saw a little kid in them I, I felt like that stuck with me that was one of the best scenes in the original movie I thought that that sequence that opening sequence when she's explaining what how she knows about witches was really great, I thought, in the first movie. 
So in this film, it's about her friend, Alice Blue, and they were in this very poor Southern community. And this is about the idea of children going missing in these poor communities and no one asking any questions. And her best friend, Alice Blue, uh, got lured in by this witch with a candy and she was turned into a chicken. <laughs> and this is where also I had a problem with how much they really relied on the CGI for the fear factor because in the 90s version you had the puppets of the mice and things and some really great costumes but very little special effects whereas this you could see they were really trying to spend money to make it scary based around the special effects which feels a little lazy to me but so like name name me a horror movie that's done practical effects that's aimed at adults like People just don't do it anymore. But I do think, like, for me, it bothered me that a lot of the animals weren't just animals. Like, yeah. why couldn't this just be a chicken? Why did the cat have to be, like, this weird CGI Salem? Yeah. Well, like, I don't... We don't have children. But I know many people who do have children who can't get their kids to sit for, like, 15 minutes to watch a movie. So, like, you've got to do all you can to engage a child now who could be on their iPad playing video games doing a billion other things than watching the remake of a book from 50 years ago. You know, that that's why there's CG in it. I still think they could have used a real chicken. I think they could have as well, but a kid would not have cared if it was a real chicken or not. And that's the battle was, there. Because a kid can tell the difference between a CGI chicken and a real chicken. Yeah, and a kid wants to see a CGI massive chicken. So don't, they don't want to see a real chicken. There's got to be a massive chicken somewhere in the world. <laughs> or just find like one normal sized chicken and a bunch of small chickens. If not, there's definitely an opening. I mean, you could start a business. <laughs> just got to find a big chicken. Real animal effects in the film world. My family. Then she goes and communes with her crystals, which this all seems very like hypocritical. Like she's complaining about all these witches and she's doing things that would many consider to be witch-like things. But she would be a good witch. She's but she like, talks about like, as they're driving to the hotel, she talks about like covens and things like that. And I was like, well, you're kind of doing the witchy things. Like- yeah, She's talking about a secret coven of murderers. Whereas she is doing some divination or like trying to make a healing thing. <laughs> I just found like the mishmash of that felt messy and not very well thought out. Whereas like in the original book, it's just very clean. There's no, whereas this feels sloppy, the different things that they're pulling from to make it cool. Yeah, if she's a voodoo, if she's a voodoo priestess, can she please be a voodoo priestess, not someone who has crystals? Yeah. And so they decide to go to the Grand Orleans Hotel, which her cousin works as the cook there. And he, she tells him about the secrets of witches and their covens, the Grand High Witch, and uh, the legend that she was hatched in Norway. <laughs> so. Now we're both at the hotel. Uh, oh, also in the original one, the grandmother gets sick with diabetes and that's the reason they need to go on holiday. And I feel like in theory, like in the original book, they go to Burn Bournemouth. So in theory, I feel like the 90s version was probably somewhere like that. Yeah, it's like yeah. just like some British coastal. Yeah. yeah. 
Then there's, I wanted to, I made note of in the new version, they talk about the numerology of the hotel. And this is what I mean about the mishmash, the messiness, like pulling from all these different like mysticisms into the film. That suddenly the hotel has something like witchy about it too. I feel like it's quite um, like trendy though at the moment. Like things like crystals are super trendy. Like people are learning about numerology. Like even if you go on... I don't know, if you scroll through TikTok long enough, you'll get to numerology TikTok. And oh so my like, God, like, I can't even imagine. It's like a real yeah. resurgence of these things. I think people will look for meaning in anything at the moment because the world's so upside down. Yeah, that's true. We, so they're staying in the room 766 seven, and I forget what that was meant to meet, mean. Um, <laughs> And this is all very similar. Well, that, 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 the floor above the witch. So yeah, presumably the witch six, is six, in 666. Six, six. And they probably did it just for that reason. She does say, I think it's seven is seven is a problem and sixes are abundant. So they're going to have a big problem. So it's something like that. There is, they have like worked it out so that it has some significance. If but did believe. they have to do that after the fact of making her stay in 666? <laughs> All the hotel, like the in the lobby and stuff, is pretty similar with Angelica Houston and Anne Hathaway. Their interaction with the, the mm-hmm. hotel manager. Uh, can we make note of Anne Hathaway's very unique choice of an accent? If it's an accent, plural accents. There's accents in there. Someone made a, I, I did read a thing where someone said like a really bad version of like Zaza Gabor's accent. It, I just felt like it kept changing. Like I it did. Remember. It was all over the place. I, I really liked that. I felt that was like a really deliberate choice. I thought that was cool. It, it felt very much like she's this like grand high witch who travels all over the world for these meetings and she's trying to be like act as human as possible but she's not quite sure how, so she's just trying to sound like it, and that's why it's all over the place. Is there anything you can't find a justification for? <laughs> Are you working for Robert Zemeckis? Is this what's happening? <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't mind it at all. I think the problem, the problem she has, I think a lot of times when you remake a film or you're playing a character that's already been done on screen, is you've... If, if someone's already established a performance, you've really got to veer and do something different to try and make it your own. Like it's like the Joker thing. Like there's been so many Jokers and you establish these things, which is why Jared Leto went in this weird, like tattooed forehead direction because it didn't work, but he was trying to make it his own thing. I think, I, I mean, I think Angelica Houston's version is infinitely more impactful and has more gravitas to it. But I liked the fact that she did something very different and kind of like this weird, like almost funny offbeat thing with it, which for me added to the bits when she was really evil. The fact that she had this thing where she couldn't say garlic correctly, I thought was was funny. That was just like dumb. That was like Pink Panther, like hamburger type of thing. And kids love that though. Kids like funny words and speak <laughs> correctly. Did you lose the impact of her illness because the accent was so ridiculous? Like I couldn't be scared of her because I was like, "Are you Scottish now? Caribbean? French?" <laughs> um, 
Not sure. Yeah, I, I never, I never notice accents. I'm only noticing it because it's been pointed out to me now. But otherwise, I would have just gone, yeah, funny, odd foreign accent. Well, it's why you liked How to Build a Girl so much. Because <laughs> well, the, the northern accent kept fluctuating. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you had a problem with her accent. I didn't notice at all. Yeah, yeah. no, I just don't notice accents. Well, I what Angelica Houston's accent? I forget what it's supposed to I don't think it's it's consistent whatever it is yeah it's more like the tone that Angelica Houston gets which is great and she does do a nice thing where once she unmasks Houston's performance voice even changes drastically which well, I think it's in the new film they talk about or no I think in the in the book do they say something about how they speak is weird as well not that I recall, but, but maybe. I don't, I don't I remember. I think they anything. do, but I, yeah, I can't remember the details. I think it's kind of a running thread that they, their voices. Because um, in the book, the character does have some sort of colloquial, some sort of accent in how he writes it, so she sounds yeah. evil. I think also because the portrayal of the witches in the new film, it's very reptilian. I think the aesthetic of it, the, all the snakes and stuff like that, they sort of model the physical form of the witches, like snake-like as well, I yeah, think. Yeah, because you, get, you can get her arms like extending, don't you? Yeah. Which is quite like kind and of And the way she wears that dress that's got like a curve at the bottom, so it's almost like a bit- Well, it is a snake. There's a snake wrapped through the dress. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. you see the head on her shoulder moving. Yeah, um, I'm happy with one, yeah? Yeah, yeah, it yeah, I do remember that now. I kind of didn't twig. So also, and this is it. the pacing changes a little bit so they're at the hotel in the original in the new film and he's with his grandmother and she tells him how to spot a witch just in case they have elongated mouths which is unique to this which i looked up because i was like isn't that a mob punishment and it's called a chelsea grin yeah, yeah. i was like where they when someone's screaming they cut two inches to the side of either of the mouth as they're screaming. No, no, it's 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 a dagger. Yeah. Pulled back. Yeah. Which for me, when I was watching it, that's all I could think of. Oh, it's reptilian again, though, because like a reptile, like a can dislodge its jaw, like a snake yeah. can. I think it's just Anne Hathaway's too pretty. How can we make her scary? But it all it all makes a kind of logic, right? I mean, they're mice, therefore the the witches yes. will be reptilian, therefore will give them all the things snakes do sort of the ability to weirdly dislocate their arms and their jaws and the, the, the eyes and yeah. yeah that kind of makes sense i liked the visual cues in the new movie when she's explaining it and the boys picturing all these things in the in the rain in the reflection i thought it was like a really nice visual thing yeah well yeah. where they could have made a slight change so they wouldn't get into trouble because in the new film, they made the choice that they each had like one long toe. Well, she had one long toe. She did, yeah, only her. She had like three fingers and no thumb or pinky, but kind of normal hands otherwise. If they had just stuck with making them look like claws, like long nails or something, rather than like kind of formed odd looking, but still hand-like, it could have been fine and they wouldn't have been in the spot that they are about the well debatable 
I mean, if if they had gone for really elongated fingers, like very claw-like, I'm fairly sure there is a medical condition mm -hmm. where people's fingers clench up into claws, and you might yeah. be having the same the same problem again with a different same group of people. In the original film, they just have really long fingers, don't they? Yeah, which is the condition. You know, like I don't understand why they wouldn't just replicate that in a way that, you know, that's already been done. It still has shock value. Mm -hmm. but again, I think I think it's Tom's point that it's reptilian. Like a lot of lizards have that kind of like three-fingered elongated hand for gripping stuff. Yeah. Um, like it's very like Doctor Who monster for me. Um, I, I'm sure there even is like a Doctor Who monster with like exactly, if not similar hands. Yeah, it must be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So they are still human hands. Like it's not like they've got scales on them, or you know, like they. I think the issue is that they do, people out there do have yeah. hands that look like that, and it's understandably upsetting for them to see that. So what they do in the original film, which I thought was so subtle, but I thought was really scary in delivering her transformation, was the when they were taking her face off. Yeah. Mm. Where she's like holding the flesh and you just see a bit of it which is you know because they can't show her taking fully there's, her... there's some really good like camera and editing tricks here that like never show her like with it fully off or on at any one point but lots of different bits of it which... also i was just reading the uk version actually cuts a shot of it in order to get a pg rating oh the original 90s movie yeah. Oh, sorry. We're not talking about the nineties movie. I thought. No, no, we are. We are. We are. We are. We are. Yeah. Yeah. No. In order to get a PG rating, apparently they they cut a shot of that transition and a shot of something else later on, because it was deemed too scary. So our version was even dialed back a bit from I the. Uh, really, as a child though, that was really scary. And in this new version, I found myself waiting for Anne Hathaway's face. Yeah, because she was so pretty, even if when she was. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I kept thinking, okay, and then they're going to rip it off, and it just yeah. never happens. Yeah. But I will, there's two things there. Like, I do think the Jim Henson practical effects in the original movie are scarier and have more impact mm -hmm. than like average CG that we got in this one. Mm -hmm. But like, the problem with it is now that I'm a grown man and I've seen lots of other things with Jim Henson things in, that it's so classic Jim Henson. It's like bald skin thing with big nose. It's like dark, -like, dark crystal, same things. Like, it's all just the same thing. No, that's true. But I mean, when I saw it, I wasn't like a Jim Henson. I wasn't no, knowledgeable no, exactly. about that. Exactly. So. As a kid, I think that's why it has such an impact. And uh, I think also I like that Angelica Houston's not afraid to get ugly. Whereas mm -hmm. I feel like Anne Hathaway because she didn't go far enough for me. Like, she never fully transformed to being the Grand High Witch. Yeah, I, I don't think she has got a problem with getting ugly, as it were. Um, I mean, did you see what ugly in Princess Diaries was for her? Yeah, but... Glasses. I, but like, you put her glasses back on. Yeah. <laughs> they, there's a bit when she's looking in a mirror and it flashes and she's got, like, pockmarks all over Yeah, but her. that's CGI. That's not her act. She's not having to wear that makeup and we never see that again no, no i know i i thought we would see that again but what i was saying is like they they weren't going to do practical effects for it. it was even if she did look more hideous at one point it was always going to be cg they were never gonna 
do anything. I thought at the jumping ahead, I thought at the end when she comes back into her room and has the confrontation, I thought her face was going to be transformed in yeah. this moment. Um, and I was a bit sad they didn't do something. But that's what I mean. I kept yeah. waiting for it and it never came. Like, um, I really thought they were building to it. But I think the problem they've got is they're towing the line of how scary they want it to be. Because again, reading like 15, 20 like, user reviews on IMDb for this movie, mm-hmm. half people say it's not scary enough. And the other half are saying it's too scary for their kids. So like, what the hell are they meant to do? You know, the, the, the line they've towed is already not enough or too much for some people. Mm-hmm. So I think they're a, bit, they're a bit damned at the moment. But that's why I think the CGI is too realistic because if you go all the way it is too scary whereas because the original version was scary but it was still costumes Mm. so it was never real like you could still say oh they're just dressed up that way yeah but I think I think that's scarier still like because it because technically Angelica Houston is really that thing you know obviously it's prosthetics and makeup and stuff but at least in the movie you're like oh that's not Anne Hathaway's real face it's a it's a computer effect like it's made up it's make-believe I think is less scary than if she'd had like a full because the prosthetic you can do now would have been like unbelievably scary it would have been so cool the prosthetics yeah no I think it would have been cool but yeah I think it is that thing like it is a kids movie so they're trying really hard to like toe a line that's what I mean, like the original, I think with the 90s version again, because you had this film, this director and screenplay writer who had never done a kid's film. So they were like, I don't know what kids find scary or not. So we're just going to do this thing. We're not like conscious. They're, you could tell they weren't like overthinking it where you could feel in this film, they were overthinking how scary can we get? Oh, we have to dial this back or this is more. That's because the racing system now, man, like it's harder to get something across. Like I think... Kids movies now have a harder time. Like there's a lot less they can do before their rating gets bumped. Yeah. Correct me if I'm incorrect on that, Tom. But oh, yes, feel- give us a little. I I have to say I really don't know actually. Okay. Um, I I would have I would suspect that actually the opposite is true, but I I honestly don't have any concrete okay. evidence of that. I remember it being very much. Very a very strict process, certainly that I was aware of when I was younger, but I honestly just have no engagement with it now, so I don't know. But one thing I one thing you just remind one thing you did just remind me of that I just looked up quickly that I think is germane to to several conversations we've had is is the accusations of anti-Semitism that were leveled at the book and the original film. And that a lot of the choices that they've made for the new film may be because they were desperately trying to get away from suggestions that they were replicating the anti-Semitism from, from, the, fir- from the book in the first film. I mean, my Jewish parents didn't have a problem showing it to me. I didn't know. I, I'm sure many people didn't, but it is, it, I've just refreshed my memory of what the accusations were. And it is true that the book does use a lot of tropes that traditionally have been used in anti-Semitic literature. Um, like the, well, it, well, it's it's the big nose of of the witch. It's the money. <laughs> it's the money that's being thrown around. It's yeah. the that they live amongst us, and you can't tell who they are because they're a secret society. Uh, and there's some, there's a, there's a 
couple of other ones. Like it's it's not the most robust of arguments, but nevertheless, I remember. I feel like there are a few holes in it because also the new film, she's constantly complaining about money. She has so much of it, but she's cheap, and you could say that's a anti-Semitic. Right, but well. but obviously they were they were trying to make sure they that that facially they weren't replicating those kind of uh, you know stereotypes. Yeah. So they could they couldn't go with the the big nose, for example. So then they've got to go in a slightly different direction. So I think that plus the reptilian thing, you know. I mean, like overthinking it, like to me, I'm like, that's silly. But it's, but <laughs> it's, it's all, sort of but like yeah, a- yeah, but 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 that in mind, it's also doubly weird that they went with choices which could have landed them in the situation they did. Yeah, because I feel like there were so many stereotypes in the new film as well, where it's like, my gosh, this is a little too on the nose. <laughs> yeah, no, I, yeah, no, I think that's really true. I, it, it's it's weird because you would have thought they would have looked at because I remember some of the press. Not it wasn't a huge thing at the time. A little bit of the press reaction at the time of the first one did have a little bit of this in it. So why would you not pick up on that and go out of your way to avoid? any sort of racial or religious stereotypes in the second one. Yeah. Which they didn't. And so to lead up to the pinnacle of him turning um, into a mouse, well, when he's in the ballroom. So he wandering off, he gets in the ballroom in both films. It's a little bit, the first film is shorter. So it's a little bit quicker sort of how it happens. they change in the new film where they don't have really the plan about, and they, they don't do it as detailed as in the book in either film about how she would wait for the kids to turn into the mice after they have the candy from the sweet shop. Whereas the new film, they talk about how it's like 30 minutes for one drop and then instantaneous with five drops. And Similarly, we have Bruno who comes into the room, who's eating some chocolate. And if you notice, the chocolate bar is exactly the same in both films. And then it's the Wonka Gold Bar. Oh, I didn't mention that. I thought it was a sweet little nod. And there's a few little things like that that you do notice. And so in the new film, you have this character, Daisy, who talks. (laughs) He's their little mouse companion. Like when what? it happened, I was like, oh, this is interesting. And then I immediately wasn't that into it anymore. But I just said like when it first happened, I was kind of into it. Like I was like, oh, this is different. But then after that, I kind of immediately lost its appeal. Yeah. So this is unique to the new film that you have this uh, mouse, his pet, who she runs off um, to try and get Bruno. And then they find him and they put the potion in his ear, which apparently is a reference to Shakespeare. Well, I'm I forget which play it was, but it's they, Hamlet. there's they the poison in, in his ear. Yeah, so it's meant to be a nod to that, which, okay. Why? No, I'm not sure what it has anything to do with the film, but all right. Then the other thing that's different in the 90s version of the film, which I found so scary, and I was like really horrified by this as a kid when when he's trying to run away from the witches he manages to get outside and angelica houston tries to push a baby over a cliff (laughs) i was really like oh my god this gave me nightmares and i definitely (laughs) remember this as a kid that she sees like a pram and she pushes the baby because it forces him to come out of hiding to stop the baby from going over the cliff (laughs) 
So that was definitely, and I could see Roald Dahl being like, that's pretty dark for a kid's film. So, and then they managed to snag him in that film as well and give him a potion and they're both have turned into mice. I have, and um, the first thought is in the new movie, um, I love the fact that they changed it so that Anne Hathaway was the one who smelt that he was there. Yeah. Oh, you see the nose, the nose, her nose smelling the... Yeah, it gets bigger and stuff, yeah. Because in the book and the original movie, like it, I didn't understand how like the most powerful witch is oblivious to this boy being like right next to her while she's given her big thing. I like the fact that, that it was her who know, knew he was there. Um, and in the original movie, I really hated the scene when he got away with the pram and everything. I thought it was so incredibly unnecessary. And like, he's broken out and gotten away from them. I don't understand how these group of women capture a small boy and carry him back inside without anyone else going, it's a bit weird. What are they doing? <laughs> um, no, they're like, just disciplining a child. It's what happened at the time. Know, yeah, maybe, it's maybe. magic. Hello. Um, it just felt like they made this whole point about how these witches are like going out of their fucking way to not be like recognised or noticed or like be suspicious. So chasing a small boy out of a broken window and chasing him down to the beach and pushing a baby after him isn't the most subtle of ways to um, retrieve him. I just thought it really showed the level of evil of Angelica Houston for me that like reinforced that she's willing to do anything. She will kill anyone. It doesn't matter. And that really gave me the fear of her. There's the bit in the new film where the special effects of which I think you liked where they, the Bruno, Daisy, and he managed to run through the like ventilation system and, and halfway like reaches her arms into the vents and they start elongating to try and grab them, but then they get caught in one of like the fans in the ventilation and she yeah. sort of injures herself. Yeah, I did quite like this, that kind of like otherworldly nature of her. And it does go back to this kind of like them being chased by like this serpentine um, creature. Yeah. Um, I thought it was like nice visually. Um, and that the, the, her reaction once her hands get hurt and she just turns into like this shriveled up little uh, kind of fragile crying woman, um, I thought was a nice visual as well. Well, I quite like, there's another storyline that you see going on and it kind of comes to completion towards the end of the, the film and the first one was the maid so I love the maid in the first film and you find out she's having a, an affair with the hotel manager. Yeah, this is, is a really cool subplot. Which I love that little, it's like another story going on that has nothing to do with the film. But I liked because this is a trick you see in like some kids films. There'll be like a story for the parents. And I feel like as a kid, I like kind of understood but not really what that meant. So. I felt like it was for my parents watching with me was that story. Mm. Whereas they didn't really do anything like that in this film. And there, you can reference that in other films that they'll do like, they'll make little jokes that only an adult will get. Yeah, yeah. It's like the Pixar thing, isn't it? Like, that's their whole, their whole shtick. Yeah, which I quite liked. Just as like a good comedy actor, I loved um, Bill Patterson when he's like trying to chat up the Grand Witch in I think when they're having lunch yeah. and she's just like not 
having it. His wife just sat there watching him. I like, know. Come and sit with me. <laughs> and he's like completely enamored with her, yeah. sort of. I thought that that was the weakest element of the new film for me was um, Bruno's parents. Parents, yeah. They, they felt like so like paper thin, like they were really pointless. I thought. I mean, they were barely there, and also the yeah. fact by the end of the film they didn't, they just gave up their child. Yeah. Did it? Yeah, I thought that was quite sad. Like, uh, I, that's not how you would write it. So, in the new film, they go back to the grandmother and then you get the story of Daisy whose name is Mary who was a child that the witch turned into a mouse but it's sort of like but how did you end up with them and then it's like too many coincidences to really work for me yeah seconded they go on holiday and end up in the hotel the witches are having their massive congregation at if did we, we mention did we mention too many coincidences? <laughs> like a few, yeah, a few is digestible. The whole Daisy thing was like because I love that you had real mice in the original film, William and Mary. But you didn't in this new one, you like I don't really understand why we needed Daisy. Like, what was the point of adding her? John, what did she do for you in the story? Uh, again, I well, she gave a gave a female protagonist, otherwise, or not. You could have turned Bruno into, I mean, I think unnamed boy and Bruno, their gender does not matter. They could have very well changed them into a a female protagonist. No, I agree. That would have been much more interesting, made more sense in the film than just adding an extra character. That seems more lazy to me. Yeah, I'm not really sure what function Daisy Daisy fulfilled, I must say. For, for me, and again, this is just how I read it, was she gives her, like, backstory of what happened to her, and then they immediately go into their kind of call to action, what they're going to do about the witches. And it feels like they're establishing that it's like they haven't just started turning kids into mice. This is like, been a thing that's been slowly building and someone needs to kind of... Oh, I don't I don't know if that's necessary, though. We already know that they're going around turning children into stuff because we've got the chicken. Yeah. Yeah. So and, and now you've got them with an evil plot. The evil plot needs to be stopped. You've got enough. I don't, I don't think you need the rest of it. Then we have... The grandmother has her... She's going to try and reverse engineer the <laughs> potion with her anti-hex kit that she carries around. <laughs> I'm just like, what is this? I like this. Yeah, I well, don't know what don't know what religion she follows, but it's very it's very it's just esoteric. Like, you're just bulking onto the film. It doesn't do anything. Like it it didn't add anything to the story. Oh no, you're so wrong. Unbelievable. <laughs> you're so wrong. <laughs> this, this scene adds so much to it. This is the only grandmother of any of the three that tries to do anything to turn her grandson back to a human boy. Well, she doesn't She doesn't do it, though, does she? Yeah, she can't do it. It doesn't help. That's sadder. That's, that's why that works, because it is sadder. Like, she's not powerful enough to do this, but she, she tries. She does something. In the book and original movie, she's just like, cool, that's fine. If you're happy being a mouse, fine, we'll just carry on. Like no that. grandmother would know what to do. Do you know how to turn a mouse into a human? 
No, but that's why they established that this grandmother, who, by the way, had her best friend turned into a chicken when she was a child, and has clearly spent her whole life terrified of witches. Obviously, she'd be like looking into like the mysticism and like a cult. So I think that and in the book she's a witchophile. So in the book, you do have revealed that she was hunting witches all her life because yeah. her friend got turned into a painting. Help her grandson not be a mouse anymore. Because <laughs> she's not magical. <laughs> no, but she doesn't even like. She doesn't even like contemplate like. Maybe we can convince one of them to turn you back or anything. It's just, you're a mouse now, let's kill them all. <laughs> it doesn't matter who you are or what you are, as long as somebody loves you. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so you can be a mouse, it's fine. It's not a big deal, you're still happy. Oh, no, no, you're totally right, which is why in the original movie they turn him back to a boy at the end for no fucking reason. Yeah, you're right. I do hate that bit, actually. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we'll get to that. So it doesn't work. So, and then it has the same story of the knitting uh, sock that they drop in and they try and they get the potion, they almost get caught. And the, they add, so after that, they try and give, um, oh no, so there is a little bit that's added in in the new film and it's when Stanley Tucci, which I think it's to like give him a little more <laughs> to play with, uh, he, goes upstairs and gives a cat cage for the cat, Hades, and the cat immediately loves it and, and Hathaway's pissed off. And they are debating the soup for dinner. And then she adds this line of, to make sure there isn't any garlic in it. And I was like, you say it's because of the joke that she couldn't pronounce garlic. And I was like, are they vampires as well? Like, again, to the point, all these different myths and fables, smashing them together because they didn't really have a clear vision of what these witches are. So adding this thing about garlic, that was sort of like, oh, okay. Um, I, yep. I honestly think they only did this so that the, the hero could put the uh, potion into a soup that they knew wasn't gonna be eaten by anyone else. They were making very specifically this soup without garlic is only for this group of people. And the waiter even says to uh, Otelia Spencer's character, oh no, you can't have that. It's bland and horrible. It's only for the, the, that group. Because otherwise you've got the hero putting a mouse, turn, a mouse transformation potion into soup for potentially everyone in the hotel. Yeah, I no, I, I, I agree that that was, that was probably why they did that. What I find confusing is why they would do both with garlic. Like I get, I get that they need a mechanism to make the soup solely for the witches, but then have the head witch either not do the garlic joke, use a different word, or have her say our, our soup needs three kilos of salt in it because we love salt. <laughs> or I don't know what, I don't know, but you do something else. Otherwise you're inviting confusion. Garlic is so specific if you're talking about like a, a creature of some sort. Then you, this is the nod again to the, that romance. In, in the film after that, you have um, the maid goes into the witch's room. I love the scene where she thinks it's perfume and she rubs it on her neck. And 
Oh, so then you see that the Grand Witch has sent her assistant to, to her room. She's like punishing her not to join them for dinner, which comes back later on in the film. Then, so you have both the scenes of the grandmother trying to get Bruno's parents to take him, but they refuse to. The In the original film, so Luke's in the kitchen and he puts the potion into the, the soup and then you have a witch who's one of the cooks and she tastes the soup, which later on comes in that she turns into a mouse even though she wouldn't have necessarily. And I really like they do this very tiny thing in the original film. And for me, it's all these like little touches and layers and elements that really make for me the original film better, superior, where the tough meat where someone in the book has sent back some meat and in the book, all the chefs spit on the meat because this person complained about it. And they don't do that in the film, but they have the chef take the meat and rub it around in the trash before it's sent back. I remember that. And it's just this tiny little side thing that you see in the corner of a shot and it's only a one-off line. So that they, you know, just took a second to add that little bit. I really enjoyed rather than bloating something up out so unnecessarily. Then what, sir? Rather than bloating out a film with all these other elements, instead of having these sort of more subtle choices and just having a tighter film. You, she's added the, he's added the potion. They, the escape scene in the original film, his tail gets cut, but then I think in the new one, it doesn't. And then in the original film, everyone eats the, oh, you have Mr. Jenkins, because I suppose it's this thing of trying to make sure that no one else has a soup. Mr. Jenkins demands to have the same soup and almost eats it and the grandmother has to knock it over. And then we see all the witches getting turned into mice. So the climax, the climax in the film of the original one is much shorter. And then the witches turn into the mice. You have Angelica Houston who's turned into this like kind of scary rat mouse. And the grandmother put the glass over it. And then I very distinctly remember like Mr. Stringer like killing the mouse and then the puff of the <laughs> green smoke. I thought was really gross. Whereas in the new film, you have that she gets distracted and didn't have any of the potion. And, oh yes, yeah, so she, they scramble to go back to her room because he's managed to steal the key from Anne Hathaway, the Grand High Witch, because they're going to steal her stuff. And the I found the dialogue so infuriating between her and the grandmother when they have that confrontation in the room. The writing of it, I thought was so clunky and awkward. The delivery felt really, it just didn't have anything to it where she responds like, oh, well, you thought you were clever, but you didn't realize there was a front key at the desk. And then uh, the grandmother says like, we'll never let your evil plan go through. And then she says like, the last thing you'll see is my stickering face. And 
was like funny but unintentionally because it just didn't feel like they were matching their tones. I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking it. No, you just read that. <laughs> the, by this point, I'd largely given up caring. I wasn't really paying attention. Okay, you were gone by then. I mean, I was sat in front of it, but I was mentally somewhere else. So the mice then managed to trap her one toe <laughs> in the mouse trap, and then he projects himself into her mouth, and she drinks the potion, and all this left of her is this very dramatic breastplate <laughs> and her dress. Yeah. Apparently, people were saying the joke about the breastplate was because when she's taking the potion out of her like bra or whatever, originally all the potions are on ice and it's meant to be a joke that like cold is a witch's tit. Mm. But I don't know if that's reading too much into the film. Break that down though. There is no oh, way. That is a that is a stretch. Yeah. Nora, Nora was asking for more subtleties. There you go, Nora. That's a. Well, I was just trying. I was just like. But it, but it, but it is. It was a weird shot in the yeah. film. You, you know, it was a weird like look at this thing as though it's a punchline. You're like, what? Yeah. She's got a metal what? Yeah. And, no and then it moves on. Like, I mean, it really. No child would get that joke. And like for I, don't think it, I don't think there is a joke. I don't think it makes no, any no, sense. There is no joke. But 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 it's it's one of those weird moments in a film where you're like, my attention is being specifically directed at this thing, as though I'm being told a joke or a point is being made, or later in the film this is going to be relevant. Except it's got no fucking relevance to anything. So why? Yeah. yeah. Don't know. Like I said, then, by this point, I was just infuriated, so. Yes, so then she turns into a kind of actually quite similar looking rat mouth person. Though in the new film, they kind of infuriatingly keep interchanging the word mouse and rat. <laughs> Which, I don't know in my mind, like, consistency, please, people. Uh, I mean, she's just like some super mouse thing. This weird uh, you really are holding them to a higher standard. Yes, I am. I am. I am. Yeah. Come, Robert Zemeckis, come on, up your game. Uh, they had enough money that they could have had a sort of higher standard. Sure, of they, they, they could have had a rat consultant make sure that, that all the comments were about rodents were consistent. Or they could have just paid attention to what they were doing. Yeah, there's that. So the grandmother traps the rat mouse thing in the glass similar to the other film and she steals all the address books and money and she's like we're gonna turn every witch into a rat and then she unleashes the scary cat on the mouse which i thought was less scary than in the 90s version when he takes the knife to the mouse i was more scared i remember as a kid than i feel like just the idea of the mouse i quite liked the kind of turning the tables on her, Hades, her own cat, attacking her. And it meant they didn't have to ever have one of the, like, the heroes kill anything. Yeah, I, I, I think, as Sean says, it makes, it makes logical sense. I think the delivery of it as a moment could have been much better. Yeah. Could have been more effective. In so after this and all this is done in the original film, they managed to convince Bruno's parents to take them home. And Luke has the trunk, he doesn't tell the grandmother, sent to their house, and he 
with all the money in the address book and they decide they're gonna go hunting for witches. So, and then in the new film, Bruno's parents don't wanna take him. It's really sad. And so they go back to Alabama and uh, they, again, this was the little religious thing element that I didn't really like when they were talking about death. She was like, only God knows when talking about how long he's going to live. And that's the natural order of things. Which does yeah, that really... Just, but it's just a cop-out, isn't it? Let's, let's, let's avoid the disquieting notion that basically these kids are irrevocably changed. And, and let's kind of make some sort of you know vague reference to, well, that's okay, that's what God wants. Moving along. Yeah, rather than actually having a conversation about death, which Roald Dahl does. And I think there was a lot of backlash for it because people thought kids would try and commit suicide because they wanted to stay young forever. But I, I mean, I remember reading it at this age and I certainly didn't have that thought from reading it. But, uh, they had a similar conversation. Like, I know she mentions God, which they don't do in the book, but the, the boy, the boy as a mouse character does talk about how he wants them to die together because he doesn't want anyone else to look after him. Well, Which is basically what they have in the book. Yeah, but her referencing that she won't know how long he'll live is up to God. Well, it's an avoidance of the conversation, isn't it? Yeah, it's out of our, it's out of our hands. Let's not think about it. Which which is kind of weird because if you're gonna do if you're gonna go the Roald Dahl route and basically say, look, actions have consequences, shit happens, and then you deal with it. And at the end of the day, you don't just get to go back to normal. Uh, unfortunately, son, you're stuck being whatever you are, a rat or a mouse. I've lost track. In the book, but, you know, they, she says, like, normally mice live three years, but because you're not a normal mouse, hopefully you'll live three times that. And he was like, do you think you can live that long as well? Because I don't want to, like, outlive you or anything. I want you to take care of me. And she's like, yeah, I'll, I'll you know, make sure or try to be here and I'll take care of you which I thought was that's all you needed to say but adding up this exact conversation in the movie what they, they have they have this exact conversation in the, the new movie she mentions God but they have the rest of that conversation exactly I know they do but is. then they add other element of the religious aspect to it which I was sort of like why are you putting I don't understand what that has anything to do with the conversation this detract really from that's been our whole thing Right from the start, like the fact well, yeah, that yeah, but the, I don't like that. I didn't think it okay. was helpful to the story. I didn't, you know, for mm. me. I, that I, was, agree, I, I, I agree with both of you. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is, it is both true to how she's been all through the movie, and or how she's been all through the movie is kind of annoying. So after that, you have a mouse disco, and then you're back into a classroom where you're training a child army. Of witch hunters. Yeah, and then, okay, and then back to, so that's the ending of the new film where they stay mice and they train children witch hunters. The 90s version, you have the disgruntled assistant who comes back and in the middle of the night, she turns him back into a boy and gives him back William and Mary. And that's that. And I forgot that it was different, uh, the film from the book, as an adult reading back. I was like, oh, okay. And 
I could see where Robert Zemeckis was like, uh, I like that he had to stay a mouse and they just had to figure out how to deal with it. Whereas like the cop out of just, he ended up turning back a boy. I can respect that, but I think otherwise so much of the film up until that was just completely different. Like I, and again, like I, as I said, like I can see a film where maybe you want to do a more modern version or look at what it means to have the witches in a different element of society and those sort of child nappers, kidnappers, but it didn't really do that. There was no, he wasn't adding another message to what the story was about besides changing it back to the original ending, kind of, even though they weren't training witch hunters in the book. I do like that they didn't go back to being a human I think I I think probably just through nostalgia I prefer the original film but the ending does bother me like too convenient and just like literally magically wrapped up so everything's okay again mm-hmm. and I like that the new film is a bit more jarring and true to the book the the ending of the original movie is just awful like it undermines the entirety of the rest of the whole movie like, there's no, like, I justified to Ellie because I'm good at bullshitting. I justified why this witch would turn up at Luke's house in the middle of the night, make him a boy again, give him his mice back, fix his glasses. Um, and that cop-out reason is, oh, like, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. I hated the Grand High Witch because she was horrible to me, so I'm going to be nice to this boy. But it doesn't make any sense. It's utter nonsense. What a terrible ending to a movie. Make him a mouse. Roll your credits, for Christ's sake. If you could almost kill a baby in a pram, you can make Luke be a mouse forever. True. <laughs> I do think they were making, though, the nod to the idea that because if you notice she wasn't wearing a glove and she makes a gesture with her hand that her hand has become normal because she's become a good witch now. Do you notice that? Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel that they can... <laughs> don't have to be evil you can clear up your mistakes and fix things and become a better person that's bullshit too neat fuck off redemption is possible quite a reach what was that no it's it's a reach i can see i can see what you're trying to do but it's a reach no it's like everything sean's trying to do it's a reach sean that the new film is good film (laughs) Um, yeah, that, is, that is rude. Can I, sorry, can I just ask about the difference between the reviews of both these movies? The original Witches is like a 6. Uh, 6.6 IMDb user review. The new one is a 4.5. But like the way people talk about them is like one is a one star movie and one is a 10 star movie. Nostalgia does a lot of stuff for people, a lot of stuff. Oh, I fully I agree. Like the reason sure. I like witches is because to me that is the witches because I watched that as a child I have that real historic like relationship with it I'm not arguing with that at all Mm -hmm. no no full full agreement um however I just think yeah I mean full agreement but there's no excuse for making a movie like the new one with with all of the problems that it's got um what I've just been worrying about is the character of the Bruno kid except he hasn't got one that's kind of the problem he turns up, gets turned into a mouse, and then we're supposed to give a shit about him. And it's like, well, I, I know nothing about this kid except that he eats chocolate and his parents are awful. But, that, but 
I mean, that's the problem with the character in all, all three versions. But but fix it. You're making an adaptation. Fix the problem. <laughs> don't don't just ignore it. You know, yeah. don't replicate it. But it's like you're I mean, adding we're, date we're not, to we're the not, character. But, but we're not, we're not, yeah, but we're not, exactly. We're not talking about unsophisticated filmmakers yeah. who have not solved much bigger narrative problems than this in the past. If you're going to add a totally random Daisy character for no particular reason, why not just fix Bruno? Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, there are there were so many times in the new film where I was like, "Well, you just wasted a few seconds adding this unnecessary line that doesn't add, you know, is distracting from the story." You could have taken those few minutes, built up like a scene where you're giving fleshing out Bruno slightly in his relationship with his parents. Yeah, and I think I think the same is true of you know I think what you said earlier about the scene with the stake is really true. You know, a lot a lot was communicated very simply in the background of a shot through the, all those actions. Whereas this, you don't have any of that additional context in the world. You don't have any sense of it. It's, it's uh, it feels it's like such a missed opportunity. In the 90s version, you have that scene with, where, with Bruno's dad and you see he's like a buffoon and his like disgruntled wife who's completely ignored. And you have, you have more of the parents certainly in the original film so you have a little better idea of what they are like whereas you have but but you literally have nothing, nothing. on bruno in this film like nothing he could not be more transparent as a character yeah i agree that you drop bruno and his parents in this movie and the movie is infinitely better without a doubt yeah no i mean i mean bruno as far as okay I, I, and, and you know i'm reaching back but as far as i remember the book the Bruno character is supposed to be this sort of stupid innocent who's been lured by the witches to the ballroom with the promise of chocolate, not in a sort of Willy Wonka, you're a, you're a fat cretin kind of way, but more just you're a child who likes chocolate. That's no, it's fat cretin in book and oh, both. Fat cretin, okay, fine. <laughs> it's fat cretin. But, but now he's a figure of sympathy. He's somebody that the main character can try and rescue and try and help, but maybe he, you know, hinders him and he's got to deal with it. Okay, fine. But they, they, even so, even with the bare bones of that, I felt like there was so much more substance. I and mean, you're not, you know, there's clearly still nothing there. Mm. But they, this just felt like I, I, I don't care about this. I, I, I can't even summon the indignation to say I don't care about it. He's nothing. No, I agree. If you drop Bruno and his parents and keep everything else basically the same, this this movie is better, I think. But you you certainly haven't lost anything. No, no. And and and, fr and frankly, by by that measure, you should lose them. Yeah. I mean, if if it's not adding anything to the narrative, then go. and if you wanted to give more to the Daisy character, have a female protagonist with it, even if you didn't want to gender swap the main character, you could have given her more yeah. of an important role in helping Gen gender gender swap bruno have the bruno character meet the boy character as they arrive at the hotel mm -hmm. have some sort of interaction so that when they then meet outside the ballroom she can tell him something about her relationship with her parents and it doesn't feel forced and crowbarred in so you have a sense of the character and then have her more involved so that by the time they're mice and they're running away you're actually like okay i hope the two of them escape yeah. Much better. And it just I, I just I have to say by that point in the movie I, I was sort of just tuned out anyway because I think it like was I said tuned out of the structurally but I just, just structurally it had it had not grabbed me in the first half an hour. So after that I was sort of like, yeah, whatever.
Well, I think it is because there are so many for me competing voices. Like I could hear each writer of the film trying to have their story be louder than the other story. So I was never like, again, like this is the start of story and it's like building me up because it ends like what you said, it's kept kind of stopping and starting with these other little beginnings of other stories in it. So when you get to the climax- It feels like there were three, three films kind of run, run in parallel. The problem with the opening is it's got all three openings. And you're yeah. like, well, hang on, choose, choose one, make a decision. Mm-hmm. Pick which film you're making and then do that. Don't try and please everybody because you're going to end up with a, you know, a, a, because a, I think a, it would have I would have loved to have seen the Guillermo del Toro version. Have him write the screenplay. The Robert Zemeckis probably would have been the worst version. Even Kenny yeah, Barrett. It's, it's not for me, but it would have at least been true to itself and it would have made sense. But even if you have Kenya Barrett do 100% of the screenplay all about the sort of Black experience in the South at that time, and just have that vision of the witches, even if it's very different from the book, I could have been more, I would have been more interested in watching that. What film would you have liked to see with the new one, Ellie? Or which version of the three? Or, yeah. I mean, I just wanted the original. Like, I'm not gonna lie, I, like for me, the witches is, is that face. And I felt so let down by the fact, even, when I heard it was being made and I was like, oh, it's Anne Hathaway. I was like, oh, I don't know. She's, you know, she's not the same, but let's see what they do with all the makeup. And then it just never, I never got that scare factor from it. And I think this really needs it. Otherwise I don't really know why I'm invested. You're like 30 now, not eight. Um, I was born the year the film came out. Mm-hmm. When did you watch it? They like, you didn't watch both of them this weekend the first time. No, I watched, I probably would have watched the first one when I was like, I don't know, seven, eight, nine. Yeah, maybe. I think that's the problem though. Like, yeah, I both, both are being held to different standards. You're holding one to the standards of when you were eight, and we're holding this one to the standards of now that we're grown adults. Like, for kids who are watching this and have their well one now, when they're our age, they might have memories of going, oh my God, like her Chelsea smile thing is really scary, or like her arms coming through the thing really scared me. Like, they, it's they, not- they might, they might, but I think there is one fundamental difference which is that the original had a real transformation mm. from normal looking people to very scary looking people whereas this one immediately you see her she's she's clearly got a weird thing going on with her mouth like well, you can see it so when it then transforms it's, it's not a surprise so I would suspect even if you were watching it as a kid then the impact would be much less because also I thought, you know, you Ellie, you mentioned earlier about how it's sort of, you have the shadow of the person who originally portrayed the character and Angelica Houston, you can't even try to like replicate her really. So I thought it could have been more interesting and what I was expecting was in the original book when they described the Grand High Witch, she's like this very innocent, young looking woman. So. I thought it would have been more interesting to have Anne Hathaway in her like mm-hmm. human self than like very sweet and kind and lovely because you're immediately suspicious of these women when they're walking in. They don't look nice. A child is not going to walk up to her. If you haven't, can I suggest just looking at the Quentin Blake cover art from the original book? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Oh, that's actually a different. This is the new. This I couldn't get the, but it's a Tate's illustration. Uh, yeah, yeah, but the, the one. I don't know if the I have the drawing of is, her. Well, it is as you described. It. She's a sort of young, young, pretty-looking yeah. woman who doesn't look suspicious at all. And then, if you think you sort of take that face off, oh, this that's going to be and terrifying. this is the yeah, that's that's the Ellie yeah. Have her look like that. That would have been so much more interesting. Yeah. And you can, but you can see where the casting choices come from because you can see Anne Hathaway and that illustration. You're like, yeah, I get it. Yeah, yeah. and then you have her turn into this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. The eyeballs popping out. You need to change. That would. But that's think... that's where I think the casting came from. Not trying to follow Angelica Houston. So then, don't even bother. Then, then you got to go with that direction. But the, but as you say, it's trying to follow so many different directions. It doesn't have a clear unifying vision of what it's going to end up as. Yeah, well, I yeah. do think both films kind of missed a beat in trying to take that attempt at making the witches look more innocent and more normal and then having a bigger transformation could have been really i mean that could have would have been legitimately scary if i suddenly get um, my face off what, i think you'd be freaked out one of the movies that gave me nightmares like literal nightmares very few movies gave me nightmares as a child but my sister took me to see um return to oz Mm. which was a sequel to The Wizard of Oz, in which there was a sort of young, beautiful queen who was quite sort of charming, and then at a certain point changed her head for another head by taking it off and getting an angry head and putting it on. And that terrified the living daylights out of me. But that, that kind of transition was horrific as a child. Yeah. Like I I don't see that transition in this movie. I, I, I see someone who already looks scary becoming marginally more scary. Yeah. But I think both both movies fall into that trap though. Like even in the original, Angelica Houston is never like sweetness and light. She's always this kind of evilish kind of person personality. Mm. Um sure, but a human looking one. I mean, right from the start in this one. She doesn't look human. She looks, you know, she's got a, a facial disfigurement. But at least in Very the original weird. one, the women in the crowd, like the other witches, are just a bunch of old biddies. I mean, it's... but hang on, we have we haven't even talked about the thing I really wanted to talk about, which was this this concept of disfigurement equaling evil. Okay. Because it's it, it's such a big problem, and I really have no idea how I feel about it. What disfigurement um, are you talking about? Any disfigurement. Yeah. Like. Yeah. This, this is such a good example of a work of fiction where um, disfigurement of some kind or difference from what is perceived to be normal is therefore physically, is therefore an indication of internal evil. Mm. And we, we live in a culture clearly right now where that is not okay. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how to feel about it because... It's so, you know, any any point in our sort of storytelling history, this is something that we've always done. You know, Dr. No is evil because he's got messed up hands yeah. and wears gloves. So other Bond villains are evil because they've got one eye or they've got a scar or they're missing some appendage uh, or jaws because he's got different teeth. Or Physical difference is a sign of, of wrongness. Yeah. And yet, clearly, right, clearly, right now, we sort of live in a culture where actually that's that's sort of not permissible. Um, and I don't know how to feel about it because on the other end of that spectrum is is a sort of form of storytelling where you can't use 
any sort of physical indications of, of character, ultimately, if you're sort of going to follow that to its logical conclusion. Mm-hmm. So the whole, the whole kind of hysteria, or hysteria is a very coloured word, um, the, 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 the conversation around the disfigurement and its, its potential relation to a real world problem I generally don't know how to feel about it. I'm, I'm very conflicted. I mean, I agree. And it's, it's the lazier option in sort of storytelling because it's the visual cue. And a lot of times, I'm assuming filmmakers, feel like the visual cue, cue is when it's when you're telling your audience, this is a scary moment, rather than having to write out a character that's portraying that evil you know, the villainous act, you know, without having to show, you know, they're missing an arm, so they're the bad guy. Yeah, I mean, how do you delineate, how do you delineate who's good and who's bad if you can't make make bad actions? They do something bad, so they're a bad person, not because of their physical disfigurement. Sure, but then, you know, we are talking about sort of children's fiction, where everything has to be... He tries to put a baby over a cliff! She's a bad person! (laughs) That bitch! <laughs> I can tell. I don't need to see that she looks disfigured. Uh, that is true. Yeah. It, is, it is tricky, though, because at the kind of core of it, the book is the book is trying to say it doesn't matter kind of who you are or what you look like on the outside. It's kind of about who you are on the inside. About, like, because the grandmother loves him even if he's a mouse or a boy. Yeah. It doesn't matter how he looks or how he's perceived. She loves him. And it doesn't... Would it matter if he was a different fur colour? <laughs> which she then disown him. <laughs> yeah. Um, when with the witches, it doesn't matter that they present as pretty. I think the transformation is meant to be they're eat, they're, they, they're, eat, they're ugly on the inside rather than, but they're presenting it as a physical manifestation, which yeah. I think is where we run into problems. Well, yeah, and that's definitely something the movie doesn't pick up on. The idea that it's, it's, the inter- it's the internal being externalised yeah. Because the minute you see her, she's ugly. The minute you see her, she's clearly got, you know, deformity why, or whatever it is. Why the Angelica Houston version works, because even though she's the only one who does it, because she's physically taking off, like, her skin, it's like, this is what I'm, like, inside, yeah. rather than, like, oh, I've got a scary mouth, or, like... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Whatever. But that's what I mean. That's what what I think they're trying to do with the ending. If even if it's not a great ending, showing the witch by doing good, the sort of disfigurement has disappeared, and which is the cue of because they have the claw fingers and stuff is because of the corruption of their soul or whatever. It, it it absolutely logically makes sense, but I think you are retroactively justifying something they tacked on the end of that movie. You know, I kind of hope that's not the case because that's almost like if you're good, all of your physical problems will sort themselves out, which I think is perhaps more problematic. Yeah. So wait, if I stop acting like such an entitled arsehole, does that mean that I'm going to suddenly become? You know, I'm going to like look like Brad Pitt by tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. It's a good Begins lesson. now. Yeah, it is. It is a good lesson, but I always felt like Roald Dahl wasn't really about lessons. I always felt like Roald Dahl was like, "This is how it is. Get used to it." Yeah, yeah. It, it, but that's the ultimate life lesson. Yeah, yeah, like, tough lessons, isn't it? Yeah, truth. Yeah, yeah. So, sometimes shit happens, and you just have but to I mean, deal with it. 
you know, I know it's not a big thing, but you have the grandmother missing a finger and it's sort of like the heaven doesn't mean she's a bad person. Do you? I've totally the missed grandmother's that, missing a thumb. Is she? Yeah. Not in the new film, no. no. Not in oh, the new movie. Okay. In the original ah. film in the book, they she's missing a thumb. Okay. I I stand for the original film and I think the book is brilliant. It's just all little touches and I think as a kid I think I loved an adult who didn't soften the blows really so much like it was simple it was to the point this is how it is you have to deal with it how you know however best you can even if it might not be the way you want it to turn out and I think as a kid you kind of appreciate those real truths because you know the adults in your life don't usually give those to you I was just thinking is it the twits where the character poisons their step parents. Yeah. So yeah. Um, yeah, I know. I'm not. I'm not sure every Roald Dahl book necessarily has a positive moral message, but that doesn't that doesn't make them any less enjoyable as a child. Yeah. Whereas, again, the new film, it doesn't feel like that ending with like the church basement classroom with just what is this? And that just. It, but it felt so tight. Tongs. It's from another movie. I mean, this isn't Spy Kids. This isn't, you know, whatever. You read the bonus chapters where they infiltrate Downing Street and become an international super spy. It felt very much like the right movie to me. Yeah, but unfortunately, you're the only person who has read these bonus chapters. <laughs> I don't believe alleged, you. Alleged, alleged. <laughs> We've only got your word for it. <laughs> Not that I'm doubting your word, of course. <laughs> you read them too. I did read them too. I can buy yeah. them. I'm, I'm, I find you're, you're compromised. Um, <laughs> don't, don't think we should be uh, giving credence to your recollection of these events either. Do we have any other opinions or do we want to do the Rose and Thorns? Rose and Thorns, fine with me. Go for it, Sean. Um, okay. So my, my, my biggest thorn overall the entire thing um, was the actor who played Luke in the 1990s movie, I thought was awful. I thought he was so, so terrible. Um, it ruined it for me. Wow! I, I he was never awful. thought that. Um, he never went on to act again. You can see why. Uh, <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> I thought he was good. Uh, I don't know, what, what's he doing now? Original Bruno Jenkins is now a, a, a lawyer. So. Yeah, he's a barrister, I did read that. Um, my rose was, my rose was honestly the, um, uh, he's a, he's a professional golf caddy. Who? Wait, the guy who played, uh, Luke. Luke. Oh my yeah. gosh. How far? According, according, according to his mum, says Cosmo oh. Hey, maybe he's happier that way. Hollywood is a hard place. <laughs> That's right. Uh, my rose was um, the opening scenes with um, the young boy and uh, Octavia Spencer's character in the new movie. I liked that that whole sequence, like her helping a boy deal with grief. I thought it was handled quite yeah. really well. I think um, I thought that was really good. Um, those are my rose and thorns. Okay. Who's next? Ellie. I'm or Tom. Go ahead. Well, no, I just because I'm I'm forced to agree. Actually, that I was struggling to think of something as a rose, but actually, yeah, that sequence 
was was I thought very sensitive and very well done. Mm. Unfortunately, it just didn't belong in the same film as lots of the mm. other sequences, so that was a bit of a problem. But as the sequence itself, yeah, no, I thought it was good. Um, Thorn, uh, I mean, yeah, just make your mind up what film you're making and do that. Um, <laughs> Because it's all over the place. Like, oh look, money and the list of all the witches. Let's go get the witches. Great. Moving on. What? 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 Like, stop for a minute and at least let these things play out. Um, I mean, that is the book as well. Though, to be <laughs> fair. <laughs> no, I, I know, but you don't. You don't have to do it the way. That yeah, I know. You are. You are a seasoned filmmaker, Mister Zemeckis. You know, like, just give it the time it needs. Um, and yeah, I didn't need the C- I didn't need the CGI roller coaster actually. Yeah, fair. Yeah, so Ellie, what is your frozen thorn? Okay, so my my rose is just Angelica Houston. Mm-hmm. Like I think I have that like childhood connection with it where I will always shoot. And no matter what Anne Hathaway did, I would always think she was the best. Yeah. Um, but as it happens, I don't think Anne Hathaway was scary enough. But my thorn was probably all the CGI. Like I just felt like maybe I'm just not of the right generation and maybe you're right kids these days will love it mm-hmm. but I just to me it kind of cheapened it a bit and I didn't it all I felt didn't love it very Harry Potter which I think kind of was what yeah like maybe I'm just not the right audience but, but I didn't love that I need to ask a child I should do a version of this where I have a child <laughs> I think <laughs> I one think, of my nieces and nephews to do this with me I think it would be really silly for people in a film studio to think if we're making this for children, we've got to do CGI because kids nowadays want CGI. Kids nowadays have CGI everywhere they go. I think kids want really good storytelling and they, they, they want to be engaged and they want to feel lost in a fantasy world. You can do that however you're going to do it. But that's that's the fundamental um, not, but and and to be honest, it's not something that Robert Zemeckis seems to understand from his last four or five films. Yeah. Um, you know, he's, he's slightly obsessed with CG and getting over the uncanny valley. And, you know, it, it's not about storytelling. It's about visual effects. And that's the wrong way around. The visual effects should serve the story, not the other way around. I would love to know. And I couldn't find. Oh, also, interestingly enough, I was trying to look because I always try and see if I can find interviews with the screenplay writers to see like them talking about their process a little bit. There are no interviews with anyone about this film oh that doesn't bode well well i think there is maybe like one thing with anne hathaway but no one has i mean that that sort of that sort of speaks to what we've been saying all along like too many creative voices possibly some degree of disagreement and ultimately you end up with something that's just had too many cooks in the kitchen and it is therefore too you know too many things and therefore nothing ultimately itself because the last thing I saw was when, in 2019, Robert Zemeckis was talking about how he wanted an adaptation that was like closer to the original book. And that was the last quote I could really find about him talking about the film. I do think the current state of the world doesn't help mm-hmm. either, though. No. Oh, oh, I can also mention this is a COVID release and that it was meant to be in theatres and now it's online, so you have to pay for it. Sure, but, but, a, but a damning lack of support by yeah. key creatives. If there's, if there's just nothing, yeah. I think the promotion for this film really petered out. Like they were kind of talking about it and then it sort of just went silent. But that's happened a lot with a lot of films this year though. Like lots of what would have been big releases haven't had 
the usual fanfare because they haven't listened morally. Yeah, but I, I but I think there's 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 a there's a very distinct difference between muted fanfare and total absence of any engagement. I mean, if there are literally no interviews with anyone except one or two Anne Hathaway interviews, I, I don't know. What, I don't know what it says exactly, but it definitely doesn't speak to a happy production that people really want to get behind and support. I'm surprised contractually because these people should be contractually obliged to do PR, so we're not doing a bare basics PR package. I don't know. Yeah, because Kenya Barris is the one I was sort of interested to hear his perspective on this, on what his ideas were and what his vision was. And I looked through his Twitter account. I googled Kenya Barris, the witches, nothing. I mean, that that that's weird. There's nothing even on their personal Twitter accounts. I hey, I wrote, first... I wrote this. You should check it out. I think this was his, this is his first feature film screenplay as well, because he's a TV writer traditionally. I mean, it, 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 it suggests people attempting to distance themselves because they don't feel that their vision was really represented, which is awkward if they all distancing themselves. Yeah. I do wonder what the process was in the original film, because you mentioned like, it's such a weird selection of a screenplay writer and a director who are both like very indie adult filmmakers to get chosen to do this kids film. I, if I would love to know like who was in the room being like, oh, let's take a crack with these guys versus. I would love to know who said, you know, what we should do for this kid's movie is get Nick Rogue to direct it. And I would, I would, I, the, the, the look on the other person's face must have been absolutely priceless. Yeah. Well, Nick Rogue at this point is primarily famous for having directed one of the very few actual on screen sex scenes. Uh, between Julie Christie and uh, Donald Sutherland in Don't Look Now. Um, and, and a movie, by the way, that did give me nightmares as a child. The end of Don't Look Now is horrific. Oh, yeah. Um, I should not have watched that when I was 12. I'm angry about it still to this day. Um, but who thought that he was a suitable director for The Witch? I don't know. And yet, you know, a visionary, that's who. And yeah, well, no, exactly. And yet people are still sort of, you know, saying, oh, I love The Witches when I was a kid. So, you know, it must have worked on some level. Yeah, it is the idea, like, sometimes the unexpected is the best because they then they don't have any preconceived notions of what they're supposed to do. You can do something mm. more interesting then. No, but it's, it's sort of akin to the decision where somebody went, June, who should we get to direct June? Oh, there's this guy, David Lynch, you'll like his <laughs> work. <laughs> like, what are you thinking? <laughs> Okay, my rose and thorn. No one's mentioned the book either, though. <laughs> Only because I haven't read it in a long time. I mean, the book is just like the little things. Like I love, I we talked about like him, the instructions of his circus, the recipe for the potion, the it's all the details the, the that make it just. It's, I mean, it's such a short book, but there's so much that happens in it. There's more that happens in the book than in the film, but it's the book you can read in an hour. And that's why I love the original film because they at least make a crack at really building those layers and this world that he lives in and you feel the eeriness of it all. And yeah, I, I love um, Angelica Houston. I, it's kind of stealing yours. I think Angelica Houston is so iconic. She really makes the role her own because she is kind of different from what Roldell envisioned. She is in sweetness and she does, you know, it's quite intimidating. 
and no kid would be fooled that she's <laughs> nice per se. And then the thorn is just, yeah, the vision of the new film was just such, so sloppy. Didn't, and agreeing with you, just too many different ideas combating itself and the dialogue felt clunky and just the entire story structure I would I would sort of understand it if it was a very unestablished filmmaker ultimately at the wheel who couldn't have pushed through whatever they wanted at the end of the day but Robert Zemeckis doesn't have that excuse like ultimately he could have made anything he wanted to make so why why not be clear I I, it's very confusing yeah agreed Thank you guys. I mean, there's an unfortunate amount of Roald Dahl uh, adaptations in the works. <laughs> so we might be revisiting him in the future. What else? James and Gi- Giant Peach, Matilda. Oh, I don't another one. Okay, Matilda. Matilda yeah. particularly upsets me. I loved Matilda as a kid and I feel like they're gonna kill it. I, yeah, I, I, I feel like I would just not be able to watch it. Mm-hmm just can't and then i think there's a room there's a taikai watiti anthology series they're doing tales of the unexpected yeah with the adult yeah. stuff which could be kind of interesting to read could be great. The adult books mm-hmm. and watch an adaptation of that could be kind of cool yeah so we might be visiting world Dale again it's Miserable 